So what do you tell Jerry? I mean, don't you want to say, Jerry, please, sweetheart, with all of my heart, I want to tell you there's going to come a day when there's no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things are passed away. Jerry, I need you to know, sweetheart, there is coming a day when there are no more goodbyes. Jerry, I want you to know, if you know Christ is your Savior, your mama knew Christ is her Savior, there is coming a day where you'll no longer have to face the agony of that. There is no way in my heart that my intention was to make you feel emotional this morning, although I know it does because it's a true story. My intention this morning is to let you realize and understand how important what we do on Sunday morning is and why we share the message of Jesus so readily because we know we have the answer. That's why what we do is so important. We have the answer for Jerry. We have the answer for the Jerry's of life who need to know in the midst of all of their pain and suffering that there is a God who loves them and cares about them. There is a God who has given an answer. There is a God who's provided a way. There's a God who so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that when we receive him as Savior, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt when we leave this world, we'll see Jesus face to face. And when our loved ones who know Christ as Savior leave this world, we'll see them again. It's not some grand hunting ground in the sky or a golf course in the sky or anything that anyone said. It is the heaven that God has prepared for us. And we have the opportunity to share that message with all the Jerry's of life and everybody that you come in contact with that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there is going to come a day when there's no more tears, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things are passed away. And for those of you and those of us who've all loved, lost people that we love who just don't know if we could say one more goodbye. Isn't it incredible to know that we know the answer to that question? Because we've all been in situations where I don't know if I can say another goodbye. And it's not just with someone leaving this world, someone moving, relocating, someone that you've come in contact with and you've gotten to know and you become friends and you share with one another and you open up with one another and all of a sudden you realize they've gotten transferred or they're moving or their husband took another job or the wife took another job and they're not going to be around and you know in that emotional moment you're going to have to say goodbye to someone you really come close to and you've got to start all over again. I said to you before in the 40 plus years of ministry, the sin and sadness that I have had to deal with has taken its toll. And one of the things that take its toll the most is having to say goodbye to friends. I've been here 23 years. That's almost a quarter of a century. That's a long time for anybody to be around or for you to hear the same voice over and over again. At my last church, I had a friend who came to me and said to me in the first couple of years of my ministry... Then I need you to know you're keeping everybody out here. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're not letting anybody into your life. Why is that? I said, Jeff, I'll be honest with you. I fell in love with the people that I just ministered to for the last five and a half years. And all of a sudden, after five and a half years of that ministry, I had to say goodbye to people that I loved. And I'd already done it five and a half years before that to another group of people that I really liked who trusted me and poured their life into mine, and I poured my life into theirs. And to be honest with you, I don't want to do that again. He said, you're going to have to. And so for the next nine years, I poured my life into that congregation. And I cried from Cattersport to Butler. And then after I signed my agreement to buy a house for the next 30 years, I cried all the way back. They said it's part of life. 
You have friends, you have relationships, you build community, and it's part of life. Now, this is the longest that I've ever been in any place. I'm like old gum. You can't get rid of me. But now, after 23 years, you're not just parishioners. You're not just people who sit in a pew. You're not just people that I see on a Sunday morning. You're my friends. And there's going to come a time in life when some of you will pass away, and I've got to be a part of your funeral, and I realize that we've developed such a deep relationship, and I have to say goodbye. And the best way to be able to do that is, no, there's going to come a day in Revelation 21 where I no longer have to do that. That there's going to come a day when God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, no more sickness, no more pain, and no more dying. Any of you looking forward to that day? I got to believe you are. What do you hold on to when you feel like that? What keeps you going in the midst of all the uncertainties of life? What do you hold on to when you know there is going to come that day until I see Jesus face to face where I will have to say goodbye? Well, what you hold on to is what people down through the ages who know Christ as Savior have held on to all of their life, the one certainty in the midst of all the uncertainties of life, and that is heaven. Now, when you ever wonder what it's going to be like, when you hear the phrase heaven, what do you think it's going to be like? Hear things like streets of gold, angels with wings, who'll be able to fly all over the place, parties going on, pearly gates. Who's going to let me in? Will they let me in? Will Peter really be standing at that gate? All kinds of things. We've heard it all, all sorts of ideas, but do we really know for sure? Because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we sang about last Sunday morning and we shared in the word of God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So why are we going to talk about it? If no mind has ever conceived, no eye has ever seen what God has prepared for those who love him, why talk about it? And it's almost as if God said, John, I know what Paul wrote. I told him to write it. I know what he wrote. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared, what I have prepared for, I, I know that. But John, let me give you a gift. And it's a gift that now you're going to pass down through the ages for the next 2,000 years. Let me pull back the curtain just a little bit. Beyond imagination, beyond expectation, but let me pull the curtain back just a little bit. And let me show you what it's going to be like. So in Revelation 21 and 22, we'll finish up next Sunday morning in 22, he gives us just a glimpse. Let me read some of it for you. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things have passed away. I'm making everything new, he said. Write this down, for these words are true and trustworthy. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To anyone who is thirsty. It's available to everyone. 
There's not a thing you can do, not a price you can pay, no matter how hard you try to earn what God has promised for us. But it cost him everything. He paid the ultimate price so that you and I don't have to. And then he invites us all to this wellspring. He invites us all to the water of life. No select group, no chosen few. He invites everyone. His desire is that no one should perish but all come to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ. And he invites us all to the spring of life, to the wellspring of life, freely given to all, without cost. You don't have to pay a thing. No matter what you paid, you couldn't earn it. Because he already paid the price. Those who are victorious, who believe all that, receive all of that, accept all of that, will inherit all of this. What he just described, almost says, here, let me just show you a picture. All of this is yours. And I will be their God and they will be my children. One of the seven angels down to verse 9 who had seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came to me and said, hey, come here. I want to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. It shone with the glory of God and his brilliance was like a precious jewel, like, like a jasper, clear as crystal. I didn't see a temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city didn't need a sun or a moon to shine on it for the glory of God gave it light and the Lamb was the lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut for there's no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful and deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, who know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they accepted Jesus. So when we talk last Sunday morning and next Sunday morning about the, the book of life, do you know for sure that there came a point in your time of God or time with God or in life where you knew you were a sinner? And if you're not sure of that, ask anybody around you. They'll be happy to verify that. And you knew he was the Savior, and you invited him into your life. If you've done that beyond a shadow of a doubt, your name is written in that book. One of the things that you notice in the rest of chapter 21, if you take time to read it this afternoon, is that heaven has dimensions. Fascinating. We don't live in some or won't live in some mystical, disembodied ghost form. It is a real place. Revelation 21 also seems to tell us that what God had planned from the beginning will be restored. Romans 8 says that the earth itself grows for that renewal. What I love about God is he gives us a story that has a beginning, incredible things in the middle, and an end. I mean, if you read the story of God and you at least read part of it, don't you want to know how this story turns out? Don't you want to know the end? Don't you want to know how it finishes? What I love about God is that he starts with an amazing, beautiful, incredible dimension called the Garden of Eden. And sin came into this world, and because of that, the, everything around was cursed. But he said, I need you to know there's going to come a day when that will be reversed, and everything I intended from the beginning will now come true. Creation waits in eager expectation in Romans chapter 8 for the children of God to be revealed, for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until that time. Revelation 22 verse 3 said, no longer will there be any curse. Do you ever wonder what it did look like at the beginning of time before the curse? Before the fall in those first three chapters of Genesis? God says, I need you to know what I had intended from the beginning is now going to happen. There are scenes in this life that take your breath away. If you've had the opportunity to travel anywhere beyond Butler. Now, my last verse, they were born in that community. They lived in that community and died in that community. Butler people are much more transient than that, right? So some of you have gotten out of Butler County, right? Anybody has never gotten out of Butler County? Okay, you all traveled a little bit. Isn't there some things that take your breath away? I mean, you look at God's creative hand, knowing that in all of that, we're still under the curse, and you say, God, you mean you have a day where this is going to blow my mind? God said, yep. No matter what you've seen, how magnificent and incredible it is, I've got something even better than that. You imagine what heaven's going to look like in God's perfect form? We normally talk about going to heaven, but here in chapter 21, it seems to indicate that heaven comes to us. And as beautiful as heaven must be, one of the things that stand out for me in this chapter is that it's not just about scenery. It is about wholeness and about completeness. Heaven is not just about what you see or what you will see, but who you're going to be with and who you'll be. Heaven is not just about scenery or what it's going to look like. Heaven is all about who you're going to see and who you'll be with for the rest of eternity. You and I have all been to wonderfully breathtaking places in life. You probably have taken your kids there and they didn't fully appreciate that. And I've got to believe when we look around the world, we don't fully appreciate what God has in store for us. Uh, a number of years ago, we took our kids like everybody's supposed to do to take your kid to Disney World. Right? So we took our kid to Disney World. And, and, and they loved it. We had a lot of fun. But for our normal family vacations, we went here to a hunting camp in Emporium, Pennsylvania on stilts with an outhouse in the back. You know what our kids talk about more than anything else? We just got together the last few weeks while I was on a break. You know what they talk about more than anything else? Not Disney World or Disneyland. They talk about that camp with an outhouse. All the time. Had I known that, I'd have never taken them to Disney World. <laughs> had nothing to do with where we were. It had nothing to do with what we saw. It had everything to do with what? Who we were with. And we still to this day, two weeks ago, talked about all those incredible stories and all that fun. Never once, ever once brought up Disney World or Disneyland. All they ever brought up was that camp. John reminds us that heaven is not about the view. And the best part of heaven is not the view. But the best part of heaven is the people we'll be with and the kind of people that we'll become. You and I are going to be with people who believe in Jesus Christ down through the ages from all around the globe that we saw at the beginning of this. And we will be with God. Heaven is an upward call of God. Heaven is not an escape from this life. I can't wait for heaven. I just want to get out of this life and out of this mess. I want to see it all turned around. Heaven is not about an escape from this life. It is about an upward call of God. That's why Paul could write in Philippians, and I'm trying to decide, God, where do you want us to go at the end of this series? It's going to finish in a couple of weeks. 
and, and we're starting to do it. I'm about, I'm about this close to Philippians that we're going to do. But one of my favorite sections that I'm sure you've heard before when Paul said, look, I need you to know no matter what I gain in this world, it pales in comparison to what's ahead. I, I just need you. It, it doesn't even matter. What I gain in this world, it pales in comparison when I consider what I've found in Christ. I consider everything a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. I consider it garbage, to be honest with you, that I may gain Christ, be found in Him, having a righteousness that I didn't earn, but came through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That He is who He says He is. That He does have an answer. That He is the Savior of the world, and I've invited Him into my life. I want to know Christ. Power's resurrection, participate in his suffering, become like him in death. That somehow how can I, I can attain all of that. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't arrived at my goal, but I'm telling you, I take hold and I press on for that which Jesus took hold of me. I don't even consider myself having to fully taken hold of it, but I'm telling you what I do. I forget what's behind and I move forward to what's ahead because I know what's there. And there's everything in me that does that. So all of us then who are mature, who realize that it's not about life or accumulation of things, all of us who are mature who've gotten that, who realize that our identity isn't found in what we look like or what we wear or what our ethnicity is or what I have, but our identity is found in Christ, all of us who are mature should take that view of things. At some point, if you think differently, God hopefully will make it clear to you. Paul couldn't wait. Neither could John. A day when I wipe away every tear from her eye, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. We'll be healed and totally whole. Even my own old wounds will be healed. Now, I'm not talking about physical wounds. I got scars all over my body. I'm talking about internal wounds, emotional wounds. And if you have any, don't raise your hand. But I got to believe that a couple of you in here have some emotional wounds from the past. That every once in a while surface to the top and usually at the most inappropriate times or the most difficult times. That all of a sudden that old wound from the past, that old issue, the thing I've had to deal with, that thing that I couldn't understand, that person that hurt me so bad, whatever the issue may be. All of a sudden every once in a while at the most unusual time it surfaces to the top and all of that. Won't it be amazing when there comes a day when that no longer happens? All of those old wounds from the past are completely gone. We guard those places, we hide them, but there's going to come a day when those wounded places will be completely healed and whole. On a number of occasions, on a Sunday morning, we invite people to come forward to be prayed for. We, we anoint them with oil, nothing specific or magical or mystical about the oil. But we believe, as I said last Sunday morning, that God is our healer. And we ask God to heal. And I've seen God do some incredible things. I've seen God heal of cancer. I've seen God heal broken bones. I've seen God heal broken relationships. I've seen God do some incredible things. And, and I don't want to disappoint you in any way if you've been one of those where God has healed you physically. But I need you to know that particular healing on this earth isn't permanent. Your body's going to give up and die. Your body's going to give in. It's going to take its toll and life will take its toll on you. So even if God has healed you now on this side of life, 
from some amazingly difficult circumstance or situation or physical dysfunction. You need to know, and I, I don't want to disappoint you, but at some point you're going to die. The body will eventually shut down. And those of us who are getting older now, used to be I used to say those of you who are getting older now, it's those of us who are getting older. I turned 65 in a couple of weeks. It's just crazy. All right, do you, those of us who are getting older, we all know that the body begins to shut down a little bit faster. We start out life crying and we end life crying, right? But there's going to come a day when there is no more of that. And the body that God gives us will be resurrected, reunited with him, and our soul and spirit will be complete, and we will be forever completely whole for all eternity. No matter what the issue is, no matter what the circumstances are, that old order of things where the body falls apart, maybe 50, maybe 70, maybe 80 years, he says in Psalms, but I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when all that's gone, and I got a new order. All of creation, Paul said in Romans 8, is waiting for that. And we have a hope, not a hope that is seen. Who hopes in a hope they already have? But if we hope for what we don't have, we wait for it patiently, which is why John could say to people who didn't know how long they were going to be able to carry on this cause of Christ. The gospel had just started. Jesus died and went to heaven. The apostles saw some amazing things happen. Then all of a sudden, that incredible process where everybody was coming to faith and daily people were being added to the church no longer was happening church was being persecuted. Nero was in a rise. Everything was uncertain. And Paul writes to, or John writes to those people saying, look, it's tough. It's difficult. I just need you to know there is going to come a day to hold on. Don't give up. I've seen it. I've gotten a glimpse of it. God, have, I'm writing it down. God has given me a, an unbelievable experience where somehow and some incredible way, I got to see the other side. So don't give up. Hold on. Because there's coming a day when he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That's why in light of that promise, Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, which means in light of everything I just said, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So no matter what this life brings, there will come a day. What you're all in your head now singing Jeremy Camp's song, there will come a day. I know that. Jennifer Leghorn was a student at Nyack College. Happened to be on the board of trustees for that. I read the story in one of their papers that came through. She had a passion for sharing her faith with high school students, especially those who kind of went off the rails, probably because that's the time that she came to faith in Christ. She began her studies at Nyack in the fall of 2001 to pursue a degree in youth ministry. If you imagine where I'm going with the story, in the fall of 2002, she found out she had cancer. She had to take that semester off, but came back the next fall, and for the next two years, continued to pursue her goal. Against all unbelievable odds, during chemotherapy, surgeries, and pain, sometimes even getting better grades than the rest of the people around you who basically had a normal life. Because normal for her went on around her. It was anything but normal for that sweet little blonde girl from Long Island who just wanted to get her bachelor's degree so she could work with youth. 
Through many painful and sleepless nights, they never stopped her and her friends from having God moments in time. She never wanted to be known as the girl with no hair or the girl with cancer. She humored her friends with her incredible personality. Everyone who was privileged to know her were awed by her deep confidence in Jesus, her perseverance and her excellence under all of that pressure. She fought the battle as bravely as she knew how. Until on May 9, 2006, the day before her 21st birthday and one week before graduation, she died. She went to heaven. She wanted a birthday party knowing it may be her last. Plans were incredible and already underway. And here she ended up celebrating it in heaven, which is a pretty good place to share your birthday. May 14th at a baccalaureate service, her parents were presented with her degree and her best friend Rebecca came and read a letter that Jen had written to the entire student body. She said, it's been a long fight, hasn't it? But I haven't lost. I'm with Jesus. I'm alive and well. I live because I believe and trust in him. When I was told by Dr. Doom, I love that, when I was told by Dr. Doom that I had cancer and would almost die or most certainly die, I cried. But quickly I stopped crying and felt the comfort of a peace that I couldn't understand. I remember Jesus saying, I leave you a peace, not as the world gives, but the one I give is a peace that passes all understanding. I'm not afraid of dying. Because in my heart, I truly believe there's a God and a heaven to which I will go. I hated the pain. I hated cancer. It hurt. It made me sick. I was tired and hated every moment of it. Yet at the same time, I had a hope in Christ that no matter what happened, I would be blessed. If I lived, the lessons would make me a better person. If I died, I get to see heaven. So I'm asking you to keep on turning to God, keep on trusting God in the good times and the bad and the pain and the sorrow. Because I guarantee you, he will bring you through. This is my heart. I give it to you. All that God asks is that you open your hearts to him and trust and believe. He is my hope, and I'm proof that he's real. Hold on. It's worth it all. There will come a day when there are no more goodbyes. Until then, keep our eyes on Jesus. On many occasions, I choose to celebrate communion based on the context of the message, not the day of the month or the time that it is. And so this morning, I want to finish the message with communion. But to be honest with you, couldn't it be a better way to end this context here than a reminder that the price that Jesus paid is for all of us. And what you hold in your hands this morning is a symbol of that. So small and so insignificant by the looks of itself, that little piece of bread that's about a half an inch wide and a half an inch square is a reminder of the price that Jesus paid by giving his body and dealing with everything he had to on the cross. And then you hold a little cup of Welsh's grape juice in your hand and it's a reminder that my sins are gone and I'm forgiven. That when I receive Jesus as Savior, everything I've ever done, good, bad, but specifically the bad, and I come to him and confess and I receive him as my Savior, it's gone. I don't have to carry that around with me any longer. There's going to come a day when all of those old wounds will be healed, but in the meantime, because of what Jesus did, it's gone. And so this morning, you and I get to hold in our hands symbols of the price he was willing to pay, the cost that he was willing to pay so that you didn't have to pay that price so that you could receive and drink from this water for all eternity that he refers to in Revelation 21. So don't take it for granted and certainly don't take it lightly. 
It's an incredible moment when you realize how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. But the only way to have eternal life in that fountain is a personal relationship with Jesus. To know that you had come to that point of time in your life where you committed your life to Christ, you recognized your sin, you knew he was a savior, you invited him in. And once you did that, you're a part of the family of God. You don't have to be a member of this church to share communion, but you do need to be a member of the family of God. And you can do that right where you are. Confess your sins, recognize that he's a savior, invite him into your life, turn your life over to him. That's only the beginning of the journey, but it's the most important step you'll ever take in the beginning of that journey. Community stores are going to come in a moment. They're going to take these and pass them all over the auditorium. And what you'll notice if you've not been here before is that everything is in one tray. So help the person beside you or around you. Take the bread and the cup and hold them for a while. Spend some time with Jesus saying, Lord, I, this life has been tough. I've had to say goodbye to a lot of people that I love, but I know they know Jesus and I knew they knew Jesus and I know Jesus. So I thank you for the promise of your word that because of what you did on the cross and my receiving that, I get to know that when it's all said and done, I get to see them face to face. And more than anything else, I get to see you. Gentlemen, ladies, if there are any, would you please come and serve communion? Hold on to it, like I said, and then I'll come back up and lead us in it.
I know we're all different, but I try to read scripture with imagination and try to imagine what it was like for the person writing it for the very first time. So when the Apostle Paul gets to that section of scripture in Corinthians where he says, you're never going to believe this. God has shown me what went on that day in the upper room, even though I wasn't there. It was the very night Jesus was betrayed. Can you imagine the very night Jesus was betrayed? He took bread and he blessed it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Everything you'll ever need is for me and me alone. And so he gave it to them and they shared it. And then after supper, they took a cup and passed it around. And he said, this cup will forever be a reminder of the price that I was willing to pay. And by my blood, your sins are forgiven if you receive me as Savior. And then he goes on to say, every time you do this, remember me. Every time when you wonder about the future, every time when you wonder about your past, every time when you wonder about the pain, every time you do this, would you remember me? And know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm with you. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll never leave you, won't forsake you. And I got a day that will blow your mind away. Do you hold on to the end? Because I guarantee you, it will be worth it. Remember him. Share it. Father, I love the pictures that you paint in Scripture and the portraits you're willing to unfold so that we can see just the glimpse and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that what we're holding on to is not wishful thinking. It is certain that you have prepared for us an amazing place called heaven and we will live with you when we know you as Savior for all eternity and we will celebrate what you have done. In the meantime, Father, keep our eyes on you Keep us faithful and consistent as we look forward to that day. And we thank you for the promises of your word that no matter how hard we lean on them, they will not break. So we praise you and we give you glory for what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next Sunday morning, the final chapter, which will be titled, It's Only the Beginning of the Next. That little clip that I showed you at the beginning is from... Uh, thing that I found that maybe some of you have seen before. It's called When Red Balloons Fly, if you want to look at it. But what that sheriff did, who's in that story, was incredible as to how he helped that little boy through that time of life. God bless you. Have an amazing day. If I can pray with you in any way, I'd be honored to do that. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday.